What were you supposed to do on the night of the escape? What was your part of the plan? I was supposed to come up and park by the manhole that they were going to be coming out of. And I was supposed to pretend that I was um, making a phone call while they were coming out. I was supposed to bring um, clothes for them. I was supposed to bring a tent. I was supposed to bring a shotgun. He wanted to saw that off, right? Yes. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you listen to the Sick and Wrong. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, D. Simon. Ayo, I'm Kate Rambeau. Hi. So, Kate Rambeau. Yes. If I was in prison, here's a question. Would you ever consider busting me out? So let's say, okay, let, let me just think. Let okay, me just okay. set the scenario. Let's say we're married. Well, and yeah. uh, despite I got, what the haters think, we are married. And we're married. <laughs> and let's say I got sent to prison for, I don't know, I was trying to like a rob Jewish a liquor problem. store or something. I'm going with a Jewish problem. But okay. What Jewish problem? I'm imagining this is 1942. So okay, continue. Oh, I was okay. Wait, I was I was like in prison for being a Jew. A Jewish problem, yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know if that would happen now, but let's <laughs> say I was, you know, involved in some kind of like drug deal or something. I went to prison, and then you, you know, came visit me, and I said, "Will you help me escape from this prison?" I am, a, I am a Sondra London type, and I'm definitely... Uh, we went to go and see the Bonnie and Clyde death car, and as far as I'm concerned, D. Simon, we, we're together for life, yo. So you're basically my ride or die ho. I am saying I am your ride or die ho, and if you wanted <laughs> to break out, look, man, what have I got to live for? If Chi-Chi was dead, if my beloved Chi-Chi was dead, you're all I've got. And yes, I'm going to bust you out. But if Chi-Chi is alive, we have to wait for Chi-Chi to die. It's very reassuring. Yeah, I'll, I'll, like I'll do anything for you in a roundabout so the reason way. I'm asking, <laughs> the reason I'm asking anything. In a right. roundabout way. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I'm asking is uh, obviously you've heard of the recent uh, case here with Casey White oh, and uh, yeah. Vicky White. The manhunt for an escaped murder suspect and his uh, jailer. I think what no one is saying is that she does look like little Vicky from Little Britain. She looks like Vicky from Little Britain. She totally looks like <laughs> Vicky from Little Britain. That's I didn't even all think about I can that. think of when I've been looking at her. And it's just, I don't like Little Britain, but that's the only sketch I ever liked from Little Britain. And she does. Well, she's not as big. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm, I, can we talk ill of you're, the dead? You're yet? talking about with like when she had blonde hair, right? <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, because she remember did you see when she had like her she didn't dye her hair she had a wig. Yeah, yeah, no, with the blonde hair. Anyway, to people that don't know about this, uh, Vicky White was a woman who worked at a uh, she was a sheriff. Um, uh, she worked at a prison in uh, Alabama, and she helped a, uh, a convict who was convicted a capital murder suspect um, escape from prison in Alabama. Um, she and, was drunk on dick, I think. 
I believe so. I think I think that's a good diagnosis here. Um, so it was weird. Like so it was only three hours, three hours for sheriff officials in Alabama to realize that Casey White, a capital murder suspect, and a senior jail official had taken him for a mental health evaluation and disappeared into thin air. And where did they go? Well, that's the thing. At first, law enforcement officials thought that Casey White, and if you see a picture of this guy, I kind of feel like it's funny because they show a picture of him with like a shaved head. Yeah, this He's covering tattoos. His tattoos actually aren't that bad. And also, the picture of him where he's got the kind of handlebar mustache, I will say this, he's pretty attractive. He kind of looks like Jim from The Office. He's pretty hot, yeah. Like In of that all, picture. Of all the convicts, if they're usually like crackheads and like they're ugly. You're like, why would you ever do that? But when I was looking at the picture, I was like, do you know what? If I was working in a prison, he's probably the best of a really bad bunch. Well, it's funny because they show that old mug shot. Yeah. But then now he's kind of kind of looks like a cancer patient. <laughs> I mean, he's not, I don't know. But his, I got to say his ink, you know, wasn't that bad. Anyway, at first they thought that he kidnapped Vicky White. Mm-hmm. And he was a big guy. I mean, he's like probably six, seven. Like he's a big guy and she's, you know, um, an older woman, probably like 15 years older than he is. And she was the assistant director of corrections for uh, Lauderdale County and a 17-year veteran. Of the sheriff's office. This is why I think he's um, intoxicated her with his dick. Because how many convicts? She spent seventeen years around convicts, and only it's only him that turned her. There was definitely some grooming, but there had to be. It, it's funny because they keep phrasing it as "quote unquote" a special relationship. Well, obviously it was special, but I totally think it was. Um, yeah, because she was getting dicked down. Dick down multiple times. <laughs> so they interviewed uh, family members and coworkers, and they looked at financial records and things like that. And they determined that Vicky White had a special relationship with Casey, and they were involved in a quote jailhouse romance. We all know what jailhouse romance. Now, means. weeks before the escape, she sold her house for ninety five thousand dollars. Is that to it? Keep in mind this Alabama. Okay. Although it was below market value. She just wanted a quick sale. She sold her car. She filed for retirement. She bought an AR-15 rifle. This is all dodgy stuff. This is all the marks of like someone's going to be a school shooter. A shotgun. What? A 9mm, or she already had a 9mm service weapon. And a forty-five caliber pistol. Keep in mind, this is Alabama. It's not that uncommon for someone to have an AR-15, a shotgun, a nine millimeter, and a forty-five caliber. I think they actually that's kind of normal. That's so weird, though. Come on, like you think America would have regulations about you know you've got thirty days in between buying weapons, but no, it's okay. She can buy an assault rifle. Once again, this is Alabama. This is the South. Uh, yeah, you can, you can buy me. guns at Seven Eleven there. Come on, I'm a European. This is weird. This is weirder than the jailhouse romance to me. I get that. That I don't get. Well, she also bought men's clothes at a local Kohl's store. Well, we all like, I like to wear trousers too. What's wrong with that? And she visited a store that sold sex toys. <laughs> well, I'm also she not was buying a dildo a and a belt toy. plug. <laughs> yeah, she That's went to the pleasure chest. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, they escaped, and the search was on for this. Uh, hulking fugitive his jailer and they 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 escaped in an orange car 
what? Like the pussy wagon, but orange. Yeah, it was like... Uh, right, I, if you're going to escape in a car, is it the day... Yeah, if you're escaping in the daytime, I'd be like, escape in a red car. Everyone has a red fucking car. It, orange. It was a Ford Eagle truck that was orange. Or Ford Edge, I'm sorry, a Ford Edge. That's what it is. That's orange. An orange truck. Like, yeah. at least escape in a gray truck or a white truck. Come on. They're like, oh, I'll get all these Well, goodies. why not just go get like a Prius or something that's like totally just oh, nondescript. Oh, honey, they don't have Priuses. Yeah, I guess they probably don't have Priuses. But just go get like a Ford Focus or something. Just get something that's just generic. Yeah. Not you know? orange. Well, mind you, I've never driven through Alabama. Maybe they all have orange fucking cars. Well, they escaped. She took him off for his mental health evaluation, this orange Ford Edge. And they escaped. And uh, then tips are flowing in. So they're in Alabama. They're driving north. Tip slowed in from Tennessee. A tow truck driver said he towed that Ford Edge oh, wow. three or four days earlier, and it was still in his uh, tow yard. So task force investigators rushed over there to Tennessee, and they found the car. Next question is, where's Vicky and Casey? So uh, authorities started looking around Tennessee for clues, and then they found a, uh, a home where um, this guy, this homeowner here, I recognized the photo of Casey White and said, oh, yeah, I just sold him a white Ford F-150 pickup truck for cash. Oh, wow. And he's like, and they didn't even have license plates, but they didn't care. They just still bought it anyway. And so um, during the sale, a woman in an orange Ford Edge pulled up and uh, the two drove off trailing one another. Right. Exactly. And so the homeowner provided another clue of the pickup truck's VIN number. And so they, they found that. So the two abandoned the Ford Edge and then made their way to Evansville, Indiana, where Casey White eventually abandoned the pickup in a car wash. So then in Evansville, and Evansville's a pretty small town. It's not, it's not, it's not I'm a big I'm picturing city. Erie, Indiana. Can you remember that show? That was a great show. I never saw it. One of my favorites in my childhood. Everyone who's seen it knows. I should check that out. I've never seen it. It's really Is good. That, was it about a fugitive couple? Uh, no, <laughs> had Tobey Maguire in though. <laughs> oh, so is it a movie or a show? No, it's a kids' TV show, but it was like a higher level kids' TV show, like for thirteen-year-olds. All right, I think hard pass here. No, it's good. <laughs> you mean down there? It's good. I might have to check it out. You you also recommended Freaks and Geeks, and I haven't watched that yet. Freaks either. and Geeks is also good, and I also recommended the WWE Roy's War era years to <laughs> that you still have not watched. Hard pass. Um, so in Evansville, the two paid a homeless man to use his identification, which I didn't even think they had any, to run a hotel room. And they gave him cash to pay for a 14-day stay. Do you need ID to rent a hotel room? Yeah, you got to have a credit card. or. Why aren't they going to a flop house in the bad side of town? Evansville is a small city. Small town. I would have carried on till I was in a big city. And I would got into a exactly. House. I would have gone to like Chicago. And yeah, and, gone and just got like a residential hotel, paid yeah. cash. They wouldn't even care. They wouldn't, and they also wouldn't remember who you are because they're so not snitches. They were living under an assumed alias in the motel, and then they bought a third car. This is a third car, a Cadillac sedan. Oh, because that's not going to be well. I suppose in Alabama that probably isn't going to be. This is Indiana. But no, at this point, I mean, Indiana by this but point. still, though, to buy a Cadillac, pretty showy. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not you're not going to blend in in a Cadillac. 
Anyway, surveillance video from a car wash showed the Cadillac. And so task force investigators began driving around this area and checking out motels, restaurant parking lots. Eventually, they found the Cadillac at a local motel and placed under surveillance. Vicky soon emerged in a wig with six foot nine Casey White. That's what I'm saying. He's oh, the height shit. of a basketball player. Oh my god, he's so easy to spot. Six foot nine. He's also covering tattoos. Yeah, it's not like he's gonna I thought he was way shorter than that. I didn't think he was that tall. They got but... in the Cadillac, they drove off, US Marshals started tailing them, but they were seen. So then it became a high speed chase. An officer kind of came from the side, like perpendicular, ran the car. Cadillac flipped over. Into a ditch. Yeah, into a ditch. And you hear, there's a 911 call where she's just like, the airbags are coming out. We got to run. Let's get back to the fucking hotel. Yeah, she's distressed, man. Anyway. I, I feel bad for it. He had been saying, because they had like in the back seat of this Cadillac, the AR-15, a shotgun, a bunch of handguns. He was ready for uh, death by cop. He was ready for suicide by cop. And she was like, I don't know if I'm not going to go out like this. And so what ended up happening, she shot herself in the head. There is debate. So I think they're saying that because of the nature of the relationship, she was groomed and she kind of knew that if she wasn't going to be shot by a cop, he was going to shoot her. But at the end of the day, we'll never know the true story because she is now dead. I mean, I don't know. He didn't kill himself. He didn't. He has a very, very, very violent background, and she doesn't. And I do kind of feel sad for her. And you can hear it in, like, the last phone call we were just talking about. I think in those moments, she didn't want to be in that I car. think she realized at that point that she made a mistake. She may have realized it before, and we never knew this. But it's a very, like, Charlie Stark with a Caroline Fugate situation. But I thought Caroline Fugate was, like, into it. I thought she was, like... We'll never know because she, she's she been in the press saying that she was coerced into it. But Charlie Starkweather said that she killed her family willingly. But that's a show for another day. I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, I think they were, I don't want to say accomplices. I mean, she helped them escape from prison. I think this woman was a woman who was manipulated. And I think uh, this guy just kind of was like, she's going to help me get out of prison. He probably would have murdered her. I get the feeling that he would maybe, maybe. However, he said when the cops uh, pulled them from the wreckage, he said, "Please help my wife." She shot herself in the head. Now they both have the same surname, but they weren't related. I don't think they he also weren't said married. That. I don't think he would have been given one shit about her. Well, he said that they weren't married though, and no. even though he said that, and it wasn't clear why he even referred to her as his wife. Uh, but still, medical medical crews rushed to the scene. She ended up dying at the hospital. Um, sheriff officials said that the two had about $30,000 in cash, four handguns, AR-15 rifle um, when they were caught. Vicky was pronounced dead at the hospital, and Casey White was returned uh, with an armed convoy of like uh, prison guards back to uh, Alabama, where now he's going to face additional charges. Um and uh, he's already serving a 75-year prison sentence. Well, back he goes to serve another life term. And it's a shame she had to die. She didn't have to die. Well, she made her choices, you know. Exactly. He did tell investigators, though, that he was prepared to have a shootout with police when captured. Yeah. I don't know why the change of heart happened there. That's why I think these rumors about him saying to her, either you kill yourself now or I'll kill you, 
have been coming from. That's what I've been reading. But we'll find out. There'll be there'll be an investigation. It's gonna be. I mean, her family that. and friends are shocked. Yeah. Now this kind of reminds me of another case. Uh, Twenty fifteen. People might remember Joyce Mitchell in New York. She was a married prison uh, tailor. Like she operated the uh, the sewing. I guess the sewing uh, division here at the prison. The denims. Um, she was convicted for providing a material support to two Clinton Correctional Facility prisoners, Richard Matt and David Sweat. Uh, she gave them hacksaw blades, chisels, and other tools that she smuggled into the prison in frozen hamburger meat. You know, there's a great miniseries on HBO that Ben Stiller directed called Escape from Danamura. And Joyce, uh, Patricia Arquette plays Joyce Mitchell, and she's amazing. I think Benicio Del Toro... Um, plays Richard Matt and uh, Paul Dano plays David Sway. It's great. It's, it's on a, my watch list. It yeah, is. it's a, it's a only like six uh, six series or six episodes in the series. Yeah, which which is good for me. Oh, that's as much as yeah. I ever want. An hour each done. Six hours. But the case attracted national attention, um, and even Patricia Arquette actually was uh, got a Golden Globe for it. She deserves it. She's a fucking yeah. great actress and has been for a long time. So Mitchell, uh, use, uh, using the tools that Mitchell had smuggled in, the prisoners cut a hole through a brick wall in a steam pipe. And they eventually found their way through and escaped through a manhole. And the plan was that she was going to meet them um, in her car or whatever and pick them up outside this manhole, go back to her house, murder her husband, and they mm-hmm. were going to take off to like Mexico. And uh, at last minute, I, I don't know if she got cold feet. I don't know what it was, but she was like, I can't do this. I think it was all of the above. Yeah. And so, but she was like in a sexual relationship with both of these prisoners. Oh, yeah. She was definitely horny for the dick. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, there's like a, uh, a multi-state search for the two men. I remember this. We talked about it on the show. People, I remember probably, it at yeah. the time, too. But it was like 22 days until uh, the manhunt came to an end. Uh, Matt was shot dead and killed by police. Uh, David Sweat was also shot, but he survived and uh, was apprehended. Now, that's a little bit different because Joyce Mitchell, sure, she was involved with them, assisted with the prison escape, but she didn't actually escape with them. No. She decided uh, not to, though. She could have. Yeah, she could have, like Vicky White. However, I looked into this, and there's another case that was very similar to Vicky White, Toby Dore. She was, at the time, it was in February 2006, she was a married mother of two. Her name was Toby Young. She was a, uh, a volunteer at a Kansas prison running a dog program. A dog trainer. Yeah, she was a dog trainer. And she helped an inmate that she was romantically involved with escape from this Kansas prison. And so I reached out to her because I saw this and I was reading about it. And uh, she empathized with uh, Vicki White. And I reached out to her on email. And I was like, I'd love to talk to you about the, the thought process behind helping a prisoner escape. Yeah. And what happened. And why didn't it work out. And I uh, asked her if she wanted to come on the show. And she was like, sure. She just wrote a book about it. You know, so, um, yeah. Um, let me, uh, let me uh, get to this interview here with uh, Toby Dore. Um, about uh, the, 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 the thought behind helping an inmate escape from prison and the aftermath. Uh, before we get to that interview, here's a quick promo about our Sick and Wrong Patreon page. People, I do really appreciate 
all the support we're getting on Patreon helps the show, helps us, you know, it, it, it keeps us going. Yeah, I love the Patreon. Only a few bucks a month. You get a lot of access to uh, our, our Sick and Wrong uh, second show, as well as our Overkill, as well as all the other Patreon bonus features. We do, we do appreciate it. So here's a quick promo, and then we'll get to the interview with Toby Dore. Hello, Sick and Wrong patrons. In case you haven't noticed, and judging by the numbers you haven't, Sick and Wrong has their very own Patreon page, where you can find outtakes, extra stories, extra phone calls, and a whole lot more. These guys are putting out at least another hour to a week of additional content. To put it in perspective, here are some things that are more expensive than a $5 a month membership on Patreon. A pack of smokes. A value meal at any drive-thru. One $6 whore. Three $2 whores. A $10 crack rock. A six-pack of beer. A beer at pretty much any club. One movie ticket. Two joints. And two gallons of petrol. Hell, when you break it up, it costs less than 17 cents a day, and that's cheaper than feeding a starving African child. So sign up and help these Jews continue to craft the fine podcast we all enjoy so much today. Hi, Toby. How's it going? It's uh, D and Kate here from Sick and Wrong. Hi. Hey. Hi. How yeah. are you guys? Good. Thanks Good. for thanks for being on the show today. Um, so just to start off, when you read about Vicky White, what was your mm-hmm. initial reaction? When I first heard about the escape, I mean, it, it just made me sick to my stomach because it took me right back to that moment that I was in her very same shoes. And it's not a path I want to relive at all. So it just, you know, I just couldn't, I just was watching all the time wondering. And then they found their first getaway vehicle in Tennessee. And that's where we went. And, you know, there were just so many similarities and so many things. And it just was really an emotional roller coaster for me. Yeah, I I could, I can imagine. I mean, we're going to get to the specifics Mm -hmm. of your case in a second, but Mm -hmm. the Vicki White situation seems a lot more similar to your case than Joyce Mitchell in uh, 2015. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. It is, it is so similar. There's so many things. I was just writing a blog post about how many similarities there are. Because yeah, Joyce Mitchell never actually like, you know, there was no police chase. She never ran from the cops. She right. Just, yeah. She right. just never showed up. Whereas Vicki White. just didn't show up. Yeah. Right. And Vicki White perished. Um, so the reason I'm asking is because you were in a similar situation in 2004 mm-hmm. at the uh, Lansing 2006. 2006. 2006. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. You were romantically involved with an inmate named John Menard, and you helped Maynard. him. Maynard. Uh-huh. Maynard. Uh, Maynard. I said okay. Maynard. I was wondering how, yeah. you, how you said that. John Maynard. <laughs> um, and you helped him yeah. uh, escape from prison. So at the time, yes. I read that you were working at the prison as a dog trainer. I was. I was a volunteer. I started a prison dog program there, and I took dogs I rescued from animal shelters and took them into the prison and the inmates trained them. And then I took them out for adoptions. Oh, okay. So the inmates were training the dogs, just, just regular, yes. um, you know, teaching just to them be pets, obedience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Um, so they weren't like canines. You weren't training the canine units here. No, 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 I wasn't training the dogs for any kind of specific tasks. I was just training them to be good pets for families. Oh. Yeah. It's like part of the rehab of prison. 
Yes, yes. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. And at the same time, you know, I was rehabilitating dogs to make them available to live in society. And it was also, you know, having a tremendous impact on the inmates who are training them. Because if you can imagine, uh, you know, human beings, we're such social creatures. And lots of these men had been locked up for 10 years or more. So you can imagine going 10 years without ever being able to hug someone or confide in someone. And that just is such a yearning that, you know, has to be satisfied. And when I brought those dogs in the prison, you know, all of a sudden there was something they could hug and love and talk to. And it just changed the atmosphere of the whole prison. It's, it's like yeah. emotional therapy even for the inmates. Uh, yes, the it inmates. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. was this the first time you'd ever worked at a prison or volunteered at a prison? Yes. First time I'd ever been in a prison was the day <laughs> I took the dogs in. Yeah. So were you nervous? that you could be I never I never was nervous and uh you know looking back it seems kind of silly that I wasn't nervous but I just took in my dogs and worked with the dog handlers and just I never really looked at them and thought of them as uh criminals I just saw them as men who had a talent for bringing out the best in a dog oh uh, yeah and I mean and, and I imagine you know, when you were working there, you would strike up like friendships with the with the inmates because yes. they're kind of like coworkers. Mm-hmm. So, was John uh, Maynard one of the uh, volunteers? Yes, he workers? was one of the dog handlers. And so, how did you make a connection with him? Like, how how did this happen? Was there like a meet cute moment? Well, uh, my dad was diagnosed with cancer and stage four I'm cancer, and we had to go to emergency surgery one night. And when I came into the prison the next day, you know, John just asked me, what's going on, Toby? You look like you're struggling with something. And it was the first person who had acknowledged really that I was struggling with something. And it just seemed like such a a connection that he would even notice. And uh, then things just kind of developed from there. So it was emotional first. Yes, yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Were, were, you, were you single at the time? No, I was married. I'd been married for 28 years. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. And we'd kind of reached the point in our marriage where, you know, we were coming up on, you know, our kids had left home. They were both college students. And, uh, and my husband and I, really had grown so far apart during our marriage Mm. and it was disguised by all the activities we did with our sons. But once they were gone from home, it was just evident that I was sitting in the living room with someone who felt like a total stranger. I mean, I, there was no connection between us. So, yeah. Yeah, And so, and, and here you are vulnerable, you meet this, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, this person you work with, and and there's the connection, filling the emotional void. Yes, yes. I can yes. see that. So was he single at the time as well? Like, did yes, he, have any... he was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so what was he? What was he incarcerated for? Yeah, he he was in prison for felony murder. Oh, and so wow. felony murder is a charge um, where if someone is killed during the a crime that's being committed, that is a felony crime. Then anyone associated with that crime. can be convicted of felony murder. So he was serving life in prison for felony murder, although he didn't have a gun and he didn't shoot the person 
that was killed. Was it like but during a robbery? What? Thing? Was it like during a robbery? Somebody died. Yes, it was a carjacking. Uh huh. Yes. Oh, yeah. it was a carjacking, and the and the victim mm -hmm. happened to die. And so was he. Yes. Was so he was probably with another person, and he wasn't yes, on his was. own at this. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so he was in for felony carjacking. So knowing this, and knowing you know he's in prison for life on mm -hmm. a murder charge. How did you think this relationship was going to work out? I mean, weren't you? Did you think about the future of this relationship? Well, at first, <laughs> at first, I didn't think it was going to work out. I didn't think it was going to be a relationship. It was just someone I really enjoyed talking to. And, and, and he was really intelligent. So he had a lot of ideas about how, you know, things I could do in the dog program or different ways to train dogs. And sometimes we got into pretty good debates about different ways to do things. And he was sure his way was better. And I was sure my way was better. And, and I had to, you know, convince him of the benefits of my idea. And it was kind of um, invigorating, you know, to have a, an in-depth discussion with someone about something that I cared about. Well, it must have been exciting too, after like a 20 year, you know, yes, it 20 was. plus year marriage. Yeah. It was really exciting, yeah. So, um, were you physically involved? Was, it, was this? Were you physically involved with him at the prison? It grew to that point, although it's really difficult. So, you know, those instances were rare uh, because there's just no privacy and there's people no are watching. But there were, you know, a couple instances where we could steal a kiss, or but mostly it was like, you know, when I was walking a dog and I was or I was checking a dog that had a medical issue, you know, then his hand would brush my hand as we were looking at the dog and, and things like that, which were just like electrifying even more so because of the fact that you couldn't really hold hands, you know? So yeah, it's forbidden, it was such it? an artificial yes. environment that it yes. just, everything just sizzled at such a high degree. It's like a secret intimacy. That yes. Sharing. Yes, it was. So, how secret was it? I mean, did you tell anybody about this relationship? I or? didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody. And as far as I knew, no one at the prison knew either. I think that after the escape, some of the dog handlers were like, oh, yeah, you know, there was that time. And they had been spending a lot of time walking around together. You know, they started putting two and two together. Mm -hmm. But up until the escape, no one had any idea. And if prison or like if the management of the prison found out, would you have been fired? Well, I was a volunteer, oh, so yeah, but right. I would have been, you know, not allowed to come back in the prison. Come back. And John Maynard would have probably been moved to another facility. Right. So tell me when uh, how did the escape come up? So you're involved with him for like how many mm -hmm. how many months before the uh, the escape? Just a couple of months, really. Just a oh, couple okay. of months. But, you know, but one day intense. he said to me if I weren't in prison, would you be with me? And I said, I might, you know, perhaps. And that was all he needed to hear. And then he just took off and was figuring out, you know, how is he going to get out of prison so we could be together? And I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that for several weeks. And then he, you know, came up and said, I'm going to get out of here. Will, will you go with me? And I said, I can't do that. You know, and then he said, yeah, I think you could. And, you know, and then eventually I was like, yeah, I think I will go with you. You know, I think I, I think I want to run away from what I have here. So, um, 
So you thought then about he started it. sharing with me different ideas about, you know, I'll just put myself in a box and ship myself out. And I was like, that's a stupid idea because of this, this or this, you know, and then he'd come up with another idea and I'd say, well, that's even dumber than the first idea. And, <laughs> and then one day he came to me and said, you know, I could hide in your dog van when you pick dogs up for an adoption. And I said, oh, now that one probably would work. And so then, you know, we were off trying to figure out all the logistics of when we were going to try and all that kind of stuff. So how did it, how did it all go down? Like, did you hide him? Did he like wear a different outfit? Did you hide him in a crate or something and slip him in the back yeah, of the dogs? So here's what happened. Uh, once we had decided that we were going to attempt this and we had picked it, we knew we were getting close to picking a date. And one of the unit team uh, officers came to me and said, you have this huge wire dog crate in here that you used for that pregnant dog with her puppies. And now they're all adopted. And I don't want a wire dog crate in here because it's a security risk. The inmates could cut up the metal and use it for shanks. And he said, I need you to get this crate out of here. And John was standing right there and he said, you know, that crate is really big. It's like three feet by four feet. And it's hard for Toby to carry. So how about if when she does a dog adoption, I bring it down to the uh, gate and I just load it in the van when she's picking up dogs. And the unit team said, that'd be a good idea. I'll give them a note at the guard shack to let them know that to expect a large crate, you know, on this particular adoption day. Well, then John put a cardboard box inside the crate and fit himself into that cardboard box. And then uh, I had a farm wagon inside the prison that I moved 50 pound sacks of dog food around on. So he put the crate on the farm wagon and then got inside the box, inside the crate. And he'd asked his roommate and a couple other cellmates. Uh, he told them that he'd gotten called into work that day and I was expecting this dog crate. So could they just bring the crate down and load it into the van for me? And they said, sure. So, so they had to pick him up and then put him in the how van. It happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, he. It sounds like he gets a lot of leeway for being a, a a murderer. I mean, he's in there for a murder conviction. Was he being watched? I mean, it sounds like he had a bit a bit more freedom. Than he I'd wasn't expect. being watched any more so than any of the other inmates in the. Yeah. It was a medium custody prison at the time where he was, and you know, there's all kinds of safeguards, and and yeah. those apply to all the inmates, and so he wasn't treated any differently than any of the rest. So when you were working on, you know, planning out this escape and, and executing the escape, in the back of your mind, were you having mm -hmm. doubts? Were you saying like, I'm, I'm doing something, you know, that is, I'm breaking the law here. I'm like, did you, did you, you know, question it? The whole time I felt like it was a game, you know, like this fantasy game and, and we're going to do this. Oh yeah. And we'll do this and this will work and that'll work. And I honestly never thought it was going to work, but at the same time, I never thought it would fail either. So it was just this weird kind of fantasy mind game. And then all of a sudden he was really in the van and I was really driving out and we had wow. done it. And wow. I was shocked. I was just shocked that it all came together and it worked. Yeah, I could imagine when the realization set, sets in as you're driving down the highway, like, wow, we yeah. just escaped from a prison. Yeah. So what was your yeah. plan while you were on the run? Were you like, we're going to go to Mexico, we're going to go to Canada, <laughs> or were you just like kind of flying by the seat well, of your pants? We had 
prepaid for a month at a cabin in the mountains in Tennessee where we thought we could hide. There weren't many people around. And we didn't know where we were going to go after that. And John had mentioned Mexico, but I knew from watching TV that the Mexican prisons were terrible. And I said, yeah. I'm not going to Mexico because if we get caught, I don't want to have to go to jail there. And uh, we hadn't really figured out where we were going to go when our time was up in Tennessee, but we were discussing that. And we had, we had thought maybe what we should do is go into a big city because I think it's easier to get lost in a big city than it is in a rural area. That's true. But we hadn't figured out where yet. So how long were you on the run for? 12 days. 12 days. And mm -hmm. uh, I guess in that 12 days, what was your relationship with John like outside of the prison? You know, um, we had built this relationship between the two of us kind of in this artificial environment of inside the prison where stuff is so stilted and so limited and you're just not free to really be yourself. So there were some, it was kind of interesting because now here you are in this relationship with this person that you really don't know yeah. all the ins and outs of their personality. You know, and I exactly. learned that John had a really quick temper and he'd get mad about something. And but just as quickly, his temper would be gone. And I was surprised, you know, at his temper. And I think he was probably surprised at how naive I was about something. So we were trying to get to know each other at the same time. You know, we were crazy in love with each other. And it is just such a weird situation. Was your family and friends in the press? Like, were your sons and your husband in the press saying, this saying is that you're missing. My, this is crazy. Where my is she? parents did a uh, my parents did a press conference or press release or whatever outside their house, you know, begging me to come home. But I never saw it. We didn't turn on the TV or anything and didn't listen to the radio. So I never knew what was going on while I was gone. And now that, you know, I'm back and I had a chance to talk to my family afterwards. And I've seen what Vicki White's mother's gone through. Mm. You know, it's just horrible to think that I put my family through that and I didn't even think about how it would affect them. Um, honestly, at the time I left, I truly believe that nobody would even notice I was gone. You know, right. that I felt that invisible. Yeah. So yeah. that was so, a sad way to feel. So how did you get caught? after these 12 days? Well, <laughs> it's so silly because I bought a truck and I knew we had to license the truck. So I had him send the title to the cabin we were staying at so we could license the truck. Oh. Although I used a false name, but they figured out it was me. And so they that brought him to Tennessee. And so they were looking for us in Tennessee and we had gone out and we were walking through the uh, parking lot at a mall and it was late at night. I mean, you know, like nine o'clock, the mall was still open. And we walked right in front of the truck where the two US marshals in charge of the fugitive team looking for me were sitting and thinking about what were they gonna do tomorrow to try to find us. And we walked right in front of them and didn't know it. And we got in our truck and we headed down the interstate to go back towards the cabin. And about an hour down the interstate, they had set up this trap and they had closed oh, wow. the entrance ramp. So no traffic could get on the interstate. And there was like, I don't know, 50 or 60 police vehicles on the interstate oh, to wow. trap us. And they had a helicopter with a spotlight and, and it was 
quite dramatic and and John decided he was going to run and he floored it and we had this high speed car chase at 100 miles an hour and then we hit a tree head on. Oh, so yeah. were you were you injured? No, I had the wind knocked out of me. I think I had a concussion probably. Uh but uh, no stitches, no broken bones. That's and, amazing. Uh, we were lucky, unbelievably lucky. Well, yeah, you know, I, I watched the police chase video on your uh, mm-hmm. website. And, yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine, hard to fathom the a hundred mile per hour police chase. When, you know, when they're right behind you like that, and you see yeah, where you it's... the impact into the tree. Yes, yes, so, yes. So, in contrast to Vicky White. It sounded like mm-hmm. Casey White was of the mentality, I'm going to go out guns blazing. I'm going to yes, go out murder, death that. by cop. Mm-hmm. So yes. were you concerned that John might have that same sentiment? Like he no, might No, I wasn't. And in fact, I don't think he had that thought at all. And we did have guns with us, but we never brought them with us in a car. They just stayed in the, in the cabin. And we oh. never even took them out of their case. So... Um, I don't think John, I don't think that was John's intent. Oh, okay. So, yeah, when you were captured then and you were finally separated from each other, what was the mm-hmm. fallout from this? Like, I imagine your sons must have been like, this is the craziest thing mom has ever done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what's going well, on? Well, actually, my sons never um, had. My youngest son died of cancer a year after I got out I'm of prison. Sorry to hear that. And my oldest son uh, still does not have a relationship with me. So oh, I'm sorry to hear that. That's unfortunate. What, yeah. what happened? What about your, uh, so I'm assuming you divorced your husband at the time? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. While in prison? Yeah. He, he, oh, he filed for an emergency divorce and we got him uh, divorced the day before I went to prison. Okay. So even before, how long did you uh, serve time for? 27 months. Oh, okay. So a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. there, so after you got out, did you ever speak to John Maynard again? Uh, yes, actually, I did. So after I got out of prison, uh, I intended to just, you know, stay single. I wasn't interested in a relationship, but I, I did meet you. someone and we ended up getting married and we've been married for, gosh, I don't know, 14 or 15 years oh. now. And um, my husband's name is Chris. And so Chris knew my whole story. And one day a reporter called me. This was about two or three years after we're married. A reporter called me and said he'd been talking to John Maynard. And John asked him if he would give me my phone number. And he said, I wanted to call you and get your permission to give him your phone number because I'm not just going to give it to him. And Chris was there and I had the reporter on speakerphone and Chris said, Toby, I think you should talk to him. I think you guys need some closure. I think it would be good for you to talk to him. So I told him to go ahead and give me my phone number. And um, he he actually called me and he talked to my husband too. So he talked to both of us. Wow. And uh, a few years after we started talking by phone, um, my husband's from Maine and, and John had been transferred to a New Hampshire prison. And I mentioned to John that we were driving to Maine to see where Chris grew up. And he said, well, New Hampshire's right next to Maine. You should come visit. I said, they're not going to let me visit you. So he said, fill out the paperwork. You never know. So Chris and I both filled out visitor forms and they both got approved. So we stopped in New Hampshire and visited John for two hours on our way to Maine. How many years after 
I guess 2006 was this? Like when? What, it was about, was I'd say, seven years, maybe seven or eight years later. So yeah. was I think was it was in 2014. Was it awkward to see him again? It was not awkward. It was not awkward at all, and it and it was really good because you know, we could kind of finally fill in the blanks and, and see what happened to him and what happened to me because we really were just, you know, ripped apart yeah. and never able to talk or see each other. So for quite a while. So there were just a lot of unanswered questions and, and John really liked Chris and Chris really liked John. And, um, I still email John. We don't talk on the phone anymore, but I do get emails from him, you know, maybe once a week maybe two or three times a month we exchange emails so yeah, wow nice. so after you uh, were released from prison you served served time about 27 months mm -hmm. uh, was it yeah. difficult to rebuild your life afterwards it was so hard it was so difficult well first of all i could never get a job yeah. uh, because yeah. i was a felon and even the few places that hired felons wouldn't hire me because my crime was too high profile of a crime. And they thought the media would come and, and interrupt their business and want to interview me. So I, I never did really, I took a job in Boston when I got out of prison and I had that job for five months and that's where I met Chris, but I came back to Kansas city and that's the only job I had after I got out of prison. So I started designing websites and doing some marketing and on my own, you know, just to support myself. Well, I see that you wrote a memoir about this experience, yes. uh, Living with yes. Conviction. It's called Living with Conviction. It'll be released June 15th. And I'm so excited. The memoir is all about the rebuilding of my life. So that's the story in the memoir. Oh, it's interesting. You know, it, it'd be nice if, uh, you know, like uh, Vicki White should probably read something like this or Joyce Mitchell. I think it probably. Yes. You'd yes. Definitely gain from That's this. why I wrote it, because I want I want my story to be an inspiration of hope to other women who are facing really uh, negative uh, situations because of decisions they made or life choices or their circumstances so that they know that they can move past them and rebuild yeah. their life into something even better. So that's the message behind my book. Do you, do you regret what transpired with you and John or do you feel like it was well, a, a self, a, a building experience for you? Yeah. It's like a self-discovery thing. Right. That's a really interesting question. So I'm going to answer it. There's two parts to the question. First of all, everybody wants to know if I have regrets and my feeling is, that regrets are just a waste of time because you cannot change the past. So rather than looking back at the past and thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd done this different. It doesn't matter what I think now because I can't change what I did. So I'd rather focus on how can I move forward and make something good come of this. Um, and the second part of the answer is the woman I am today would never even consider doing what I did. But I'm not the, I wasn't the woman I am today back then. Yeah. And this whole journey, this decision, this time through prison, this total tearing down of my whole life and having to rebuild it from scratch is what made me who I am today. And for the first time in my life, I can say I love the woman I am today and I wouldn't trade her for all the world. So I can't wish it out of my life, those experiences, no matter how difficult they were, I can't wish them away.
Well, I think it's great. I mean, you gain from this experience. So it's, it's a yes, happy ending. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I see that uh, you're a public speaker as well. Um, I, I saw yes. that you had a program and a workshop called Escape from Prison. Uh, it's called, a, no, my my message to women is to escape their prisons. And I mean their emotional like prisons. Me- because I think we all have emotional prisons. And that's what gets us into the situations that aren't the best situations for us. And so my program is about helping women find out who they are, build on their strengths, and become the woman that they were meant to be. Oh, that's great. That's, that's I great. love it. Yeah, so t- Toby, thanks. Thanks, for, thanks for being on the show. And uh, people, June You're 15th, welcome. get a copy of Toby's yes. book on Amazon. That's right. And my website's tobydoor.com, and that's T-O-B-Y-D-O-R-R.com. And there's links on there to buy the book. There's links for the workbooks. I have three workbooks finished now and three more on the way. Um, But the ebook is available for pre-order on Amazon right now. And the audio book, the hardback book and the paperback book will all be available between now and June 15th for pre-order. And uh, I'm actually recording the audio book this week and next week, and I'm reading it myself, and it'll be available June 15th as well. Oh, great. I'll definitely have to check it out. Toby, you're an inspiration. You are. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks. She was a nice lady. I like that woman. Oh, I really liked her. I thought she was, like, so super. She's super cool in a way, and, like, I admire her because people get trapped in awful relationships all the time, and... She got, yeah, she got out of it in a, in a batshit crazy way, but she survived it, didn't she? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it became a loveless relationship. Who knew, who knew what happened when it started? But I mean, after 30 years, maybe it's like you're not into it anymore. You don't know how to get out of it. And this was her way. So, you know. Yeah. Well, my parents were trapped in a horrible relationship. Up until my dad died. It's like, you waste life doing it. And at least you can say that when she was running away with this fucking convict, she was living life on a life on the line. But she was living it. I, I definitely think she sees the day. And uh, she, you know, changed her life around. And it seems like she's happier now. So I think in the end, it was for the best. Yeah. You know? And... I can, and I think it's also interesting how uh, she still main, you know, emails maintain contact with the, uh, with the with the inmate. Well, to me, that means they have an actual real connection. But even the husband does, or her new yeah. husband does. does it, it doesn't have to be like a sexual connection, but they have, they're connected they're through life. And something like that can only bond you with someone. Be like, hey, this this person broke me out of jail and they did it. Even though she said she was naive, she was like, she did it with her most trusting, nicest feelings at heart. And I I really appreciate that. I think that's what makes her lovely. Well, I think it's also kind of fascinating to like think about trying to rebuild your life. Oh, like after after, like after something like that. And like, yeah, I, could, I couldn't even imagine that. But uh, I mean, I'm kind of amazed. I'm very impressed that she was able to not only rebuild her life to get where she's at today, write a book and everything. So interesting person, interesting situation. A little bit different than, uh, than Joyce Mitchell. But I would say, I mean, I can understand. She was in the same situation as Vicky White. Uh, I, yeah, I think really similar. You know? and, uh, yeah, we asked about the kinship that they felt. And it's something can, we'll never feel. But I can understand how she can empathize with her. Yeah. 
Anyway, people, this is uh, episode 843 here, Sick and Wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next, 323-522-4032. But first, here's a quick message. D. Simon, Lance Wackerly. Some folks call them podcrafters. I call them assholes. Mm-hmm. I reckon I better tell you my sick and wrong story. Mm-hmm. I looked in the window and caught my mama working herself good with some sort of pussy toy. Mm-hmm. Some folks call it a rotating G-spot vibrating dildo from adamandeve.com. I call it a pussy toy, kind of shaped like a nanner. Mm-hmm. I guess my mama entered the code word diddle at checkout and got 50% off almost any item. Three free adult DVDs and a gift so sensual I can't even mention it. Mmm. I reckon I'll get back to my biscuits and mustard and jerking off to D and Lance. That's funny and queer, not funny, haha. This first call is actually interesting. This comes from Bob, the Aussie cop. He says, Awesome. Good day, D and Kate. Wait, wait, wait. Let me do it. Good day, D and Kate. Wait, should I read it? it? Everyone will get upset because I'm doing my Aussie accent. There we go. Wait, I'm just moving a wire. I've been listening to the podcast for around a decade and I've recently signed up for the Patreon. Hello, Aussie Bob. Love the extra content. Well done to the both of you, and particularly Dee, who has been doing it for so long. There you go, Dee. It's giving you a little compliment there. Thank you there, Bob. You're a bit of a pioneer in my mind, Dee. Oh, like the pioneers who came over from my country and built your country, Bob. Were they, wait, were all the pioneers from England? I thought the pioneers were, were from, like, France and China. No, it was like we sent all o- over all our convicts to Australia, and we were like, "Bye, guys, survive." <laughs> oh, the okay, the prisoners that you sent to Australia. Okay, yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. Attached is an audio recording of an interesting suicide he went to as a police officer in Australia. I wouldn't rehash it here, but I reckon you enjoyed the story. I kept it under three minutes. I'm losing it now. I think. <laughs> I, know, my- I was about to say it's like the the Aussie accent's fading. <laughs> I think my favorite story is back in the Wackerly days when a jogger stumbled across a homeless guy fucking a couch in the woods. I played that story to a few mates and they had a good laugh. You remember that? I vaguely remember that one. I do kind of remember that one. <laughs> now a common expression in our friendship group. That's a sexy couch. <laughs> I'd fuck the shit out of that couch. <laughs> I bet your Wackerly said that. <laughs> Please use my moniker and not my real name. <laughs> I might get into trouble if people were to find out who I was. Congratulations on the marriage. Guys, would love to hear my call on the craft. Keep it sick, keep it wrong. Bob the Aussie Cop. Well, thank you there, Bob. We're going to play your call. I kind of want to hear this. I'm sorry, Australians. I have had a few beers. My Australian accent is usually a lot better. It's I promise. Way better than mine. That's a promise. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing, but it's way better than mine. Yeah, g'day, sick and wrong. Bob the Aussie Cop here. Been listening for about a decade. Uh, and uh, recently signed up to Patreon because I decided it was time to stop being such a cheap motherfucker and show oh, you guys thank some you, love. Bob. Love you, Bob. 
Uh, as the name suggests, I'm a copper in Australia. Uh, a, well, a few years ago now, had a welfare check uh, to check on a male hadn't been seen for some time. Uh, long story short, got a got the keys from a real estate agent to get into the house. Uh, got in there. Isn't that kind of odd? The real estate agent had the key. Can't you like go to the landlord? Or I thought they would just break mine would in. be a real estate because I rent for a real estate agent. Oh, you go to the building manager and get the no, keys. No, no. You, I rent. I rent a house for a real estate agent who represents on the side of the landlord. You're just not. You're just not on the European Aussie side like I am with Aussie pop. It's so weird. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know. Here, the building manager would just open up the door to my place. This is why like, I'm here on this show to represent. Yeah, I think they would just because you and Harrison would have just been like, "This is fucking." Weird. Well, I think it's bizarre. I do think it's bizarre. <laughs> How bizarre? How bizarre? And found that he was dead on the floor. He had left a suicide note saying that he was going, uh, that he was suffering from numerous medical conditions and he was going to off himself because he couldn't stand the pain. Okay. Uh, a little bit sad. Uh, he left, uh, a, he, on the suicide note, he said he left some cash around his house mm. and uh, said where he left his uh, last will and testament. Wouldn't you steal the that's, cash? That's a little odd. So it's kind of like an Easter egg hunt at this point. <laughs> it's like there's cash just hidden around the house. So what happened? Did the cops were like, sweet? And then it's just like a free-for-all. Wouldn't you leave it in cryptic terms like, three steps from my body and four hands to the right, ye might find a golden stick. I would have done something like that. I would have yeah. been like, somewhere in this house, there's 50000 Australian Ooh. dollars. You need to find it in less than 40 minutes. I have oddly always wanted to kind of be murdered in my house, but I want to be murdered in a particular place. Why murder in your house? Because I have like um in one level of my in my house in my heart, I have all my like I have a lot of books and I have a lot of true crime books and your porcelain zoo. No, my porcelain zoo is mainly kept on the lower floor. But what if they're all looking at you while you died? I would actually love that because I would feel very comforted. Because what if they were all laughing at you? While they're you not died? laughing at me because <laughs> I have built up a relationship in my porcelain zoo where we are all best friends. I have rescued them from uncertain loneliness in a charity shop, and now they live Don't with me. Don't die, Kate. That's what they used to say to me. Don't make me feel sad about my porcelain zoo. But I have a true crime collection, and I would love to be murdered in front of it. In front of the true crime. So wait, and wait, a James Elroy collection. So when the in when the detectives came over and they would see my dead body possibly i would like to have a delicate not like loads of blood just like a delicate stream of blood from my mouth or nose eyes open laying face down it's kind of postmodern because they could have been like a true crime occurred that's in what front i want the true crime that's what i want and i want the detectives to look and be like this is what she wants and then you could start a, a podcast series about it and it would go viral I'd probably be like, lame, cliche, <laughs> come on. It's like, of course, of all the places to be murdered in front of all the true crime books. And it wasn't me, guys. <laughs> I swear. Searched the house. I uh, found a fair bit of cash, actually. Um, 
uh, tens of thousands of dollars. Jesus, did you keep it? Did you go buy some Fosters? Oh, I, I think Bob is a good cop and he didn't keep it. I hope he went and bought like I pieces of Fosters. Stop it with the Fosters. We're going to change Fosters now to Castle Main. Fosters. Castle Main. Uh, and found his collection of hardcore German pornography. Oh, <laughs> uh, Also found a rope uh, that he'd attempted to hang himself with, but uh, wasn't successful, oh. uh, as there was no marks on his neck. And uh, found a whole bunch of strong pain medication for his medical I- issues, uh, and there was a fair bit of that missing, so... Uh, as there's no uh, marks on the body, I was thinking, oh, yeah, he's probably uh, taken all these pills uh, to end it all. Uh, anyway. Wait, I don't get it. Did he try to hang himself and it just didn't work out? Do you know what? I say this, I say this every week, but I just want like more weird wanking deaths. In fact, that's how I'm going to kill myself one day, by weird wank. Yeah, but would you do it by hanging yourself so it could be out of erotic You have to. Yeah, that's a weird wank. You have to kill yourself by yeah, a weird but wank. this guy tried. and didn't, He must have been a sob buster. I think he tried to like hang himself. Oh, yeah, because there's no marks through. on his neck because he had like three necks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd uh, need to provide evidence to the coroner's court or something similar to that. Months go by, I haven't heard anything from the courts. Ring him up and go, uh, hey, uh, why haven't I received any information for uh, to provide you know, some further evidence surrounding this matter uh, for this suicide? And uh, the chick on the phone says, uh, nah, he didn't die from a suicide there, mate. He, uh, he died from his medical condition. So I thought, what the fuck are the chances of that? Yeah. Wait a second. So wait, he didn't even he didn't commit suicide. No, he just like he was like that softbuster in that story. Oh, in that on second show where that died yeah, from a heart yeah. attack. Yeah. So he just died because he had a medical condition. Isn't that a disappointment? Do you know what? If I was a policeman or like a pathologist, I'd be a bit like. <sighs> Do you think he might have been allergic to Fosters? Right, I'm starting to become Australian. <laughs> the amount of times you met, you know, D, you, you know, you know, you know, you know. I don't. I think you know, you know that that like kangaroos drink Fosters. Yes, is that what you're telling me? Koalas drink Fosters too. And koala, you know, koalas have started chlamydia. And th- that's what I was wondering. The next thing I was going to say. Oh my god! Imagine. Do if this you is, think he got murdered by koalas? Imagine if this is the first. I actually have HPV because of the koalas. So if this was a. The Why didn't koalas. you tell me this before? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I saw some like video on uh, Instagram that to me was horrifying. I know people thought it was funny, but it was horrifying to me. There was like this guy that was holding his baby. Like at a zoo or in Australia and a or koala something. Took it. No, a koala was trying to rip its face off. It was like so determined. They are best. It was like jumping, trying to slice at him, but he was like a koala and it's cute and it's tiny. And he couldn't jump more than like two or three feet. And the guy thought it was funny to hold his baby like like Michael Jackson, like over the you know, over the, the, the I ledge. Get it. And the koala was just sitting there and I was like God, they're vicious creatures. You know, I feel a certain they're kin- vicious. I feel a certain kinship with koalas because I'm kind of short. They have HPV. I, I have HPV, just like a koala. I'm lazy, just like a koala, because like I'm sure I could move faster. But like, I have a fat nose, like one too. I know what it's like. 
I guess. Do they wait? Do they have HPV or syphilis? No, they have chlamydia, and I had chlamydia at one point. All right, we're gonna move on. I don't have chlamydia I'm anymore. At this point, <laughs> I don't have it anymore. I got rid of it. <laughs> Hopefully, you did. Here, he's trying to set up a suicide. He's got everything ready to go. He's tried once. He's uh, probably going to try again because uh, the first time, if you don't succeed, try and try again. Uh, but in the end, he ended up die- dying from the uh, from the medical conditions. Keep up the uh, good work, guys. Uh, love what you're doing with the show. Uh, keep it sick and wrong. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, bye. Thanks, Bob, the RC cop. You know, I gotta say, I admire this guy. It's like he kept trying and trying. <laughs> Had he not bothered with the the whole like hanging or whatever, he would have died in the end. I want to hear more stories from Bob. Definitely want to hear more stories from Bob. It kind of reminds me of uh, I know it's it's New Zealand, but you ever see that uh, oh God, it's a Taika Waititi show about the welling the New Zealand cops with the are you talking uh, about terrestrial? Po- are you talking about Police Ten Seven? What's it called? Police Ten Seven. No, it's called like Wellington Paranormal or something. I've not seen that, but that pie is entirely too hot. Is that from? Is that? <laughs> a, is from a, Police Ten Seven. Is that Australia or New Zealand? New Zealand. This is like Wellington Paranormal or something. I just want to hear from Bob. Like, have you had any paranormal? Have you had any encounters with any Aboriginals? That's what I want to know. Uh, I'm not playing favorites with all the listeners. I love all the listeners. But I especially love the Australian. I feel a kinship with the Australians. Why? You're not even Australian. I'm not Australian. Do you but have I any f- Australian family? I do actually. But I feel like uh, me and the Australians are on the same level because I just like to drink beer. I like shit beer as well. well they have good beer over there. And don't they? I like being racist. They have so. good beer. Don't they? Yeah, they have Victoria bitters and they have Castlemaine Forest. And Foster's. And no, yes, <laughs> and I like being racist, so that's why I feel me and Australians. I grew up watching Neighbours and Home and Away, so I'm kind of half Australian in my mind. Well, don't you feel a kinship with this next caller? Hey, it's Tony. Um, yeah, very warning. This is not gonna be the usual kind of nice. titillating fare that you get from me. No, and that probably goes straight in the spank bank of the average sick and wrong listener. <laughs> Podcrafter, for that matter. Have some more of those for another time. This happened when I was in my early years of elementary school, so I guess maybe around eight, nine years old. Oh my God, we're um, getting at an the origin time. story. Wait, where's he from? Like, where did he go to elementary school? We, we've talked this? about this because remember he went to a farmhouse. Where was it? I don't know. I'm wondering. It, we've, uh, we asked um, Marshall Antoli where he's from before, and he's told us. And he went to a farm, remember? It was very like. It's like uh, Midwestern or something. But this is an origin story for Marshall Antonio. Yeah, it is. This is it very is. interesting. I used to get um, allergy shots every couple of weeks. So we'll usually what we do, my mother would drop me off at this um, little clinic, and she'd go shopping with some of my sisters. Remember, I have seven of those. And I'd get my shots, and then I'd go to this little store nearby and wait for them. But um, one allergy day, shots every month. no one came. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I you think have he the might allergies, have been, but I do, but I've never done that though. He must have had crazy allergies. Yeah. 
you know, do you think he was allergic to pussy? He had seven sisters. Yeah. Do you no, think- he had doubted if he had seven sisters. He must have been allergic to pussy because imagine being locked up inside with seven pussies walking around you. Yeah, but you probably would be you develop a tolerance. Oh, you develop a tolerance. Yeah. Him. I would like to know what Marshall and Tony's sisters are all doing now. It's a good question. And this is in my hometown. This is this little cow town, even smaller than my hometown. Yeah, and he's like from all around five thirty. Everything closed down, and um, there's you know very little activity. And so the store closes, and I'm sitting on the street corner. Didn't know what to do. I guess you know I I should have went to someone's house and asked asked to use the phone, but I'm, I'm too much of a stupid little farm boy to think of that. And so I just you know kept waiting for what turned into hours. And I remember, you know, feeling kind of hungry and anxious, but um, luckily it was a nice summer day, so evening, so you know, I didn't get any frostbite or anything like that. And finally, one of my sisters drives up in the car. Seven sisters. He must have grown up in, like, Iowa or something. Seven? He's told us before. I can't believe any of us can remember it. He told us about the barn story. Cause remember we were talking about him when he was... A teenager on the farm. He was in a barn? Yeah, he was talking about like the screaming of the lambs. You remember? That actually sounds familiar, but I also remember that from like Signs of the Lambs. Yeah, but Marshall, this is Marshall, another one of Marshall Allen Tony's origin stories. Wait, so there was like a psychiatrist that was like hidden behind glass and was like, tell me about the bleaching of the lambs. Is when I guess Marshall it's fine. I've usually, I've usually had a few beers because I have no responsibilities. You have no excuse, but apart from you're old. And I'm this old and I can't remember things. I don't know. Maybe. Where where'd you grow up there, Tony? I want to know this. And what happened to your sisters? Are you still I close to them? I want to know. Yeah, seven sisters. Yeah, and do they know about some of your uh, hijinks <laughs> you get up to in the Philippines? Because I, I couldn't imagine if I knew about that, I'd be that close He's to you He's our baby a woman. boy. We love you long time. <laughs> and she told me years later on, she found me, you know, calmly sitting on this deserted street corner. And she said the first thing I said was, um, well, I just figured, figured you'd forgotten me. And that is what happened. Turns out they drove home, had dinner, you know, doing dishes and stuff. And um, no one noticed I was gone except for my brother because he had to do my chores and he just figured, well, you know, no one missed chores for a damn good reason, so he didn't say anything. And it wasn't until well after dinner and my mother suddenly realized, oh, they forgot me. And she sent my sister up to pick me up. So I ended up forgotten and abandoned for hours when I was about eight, nine years old. This happened to me Anyway, twice. something a little different. I hope you found it at least a, a bit amusing. Yeah, it's brought back memories. Thanks, Marshall. <laughs> That's very interesting, though. Do you think this is the source of his licentious behavior. Well, I got left outside of school for several hours once. By drunk dad? He was By just drunk dad. He was meant to come and pick me up. And he, and never he was did. just too drunk. Uh, I don't know if he was too drunk, but he. it was usually my mum who came and picked me up, but uh, she must have arranged for him to come and pick me up. And he never did. I remember I was sat outside and it was start. it was starting to like turn dusk. So did it start like raining? The difference is like uh, Tony's in a street. Uh, He's in like a town situation. I was in the middle of the countryside. They basically kicked you out of school and then they shut it. And there was nowhere to go. 
I was like, well, I could walk left for miles or I could walk right for miles. And I was like, I'll just sit here and wait. You waited for how long? I waited for about four hours. Jesus, how long would it take you for to walk home? Probably about the same time. Yeah, why not walk home? Because I was like 70. Yeah, I would still walk home at that age. No, I was like seven. I was like, someone will come eventually. And I just sat down and waited. I probably like pissed in the bushes or something. Hmm. And so, wait, did drunk dad finally come? Uh, a neighbor actually came for me in the end. What? Where were your parents? I think my mum probably like realized and was like, can you just like drive around looking for her, thinking I'd run off? Because my parents never communicated. They had a bad marriage. And then eventually my dad would have been like, oh, yeah. He I must have been to do something. He was, pro- my mum probably said, Next week, you have to pick Kate up from school. He was probably like, yeah, that's fine. And then it came. And he so was like, oh, shit. After that experience, did you, like, head to the Philippines and start fucking minors? That's always been in my dreams. Did you? Did do. you start having sex with, like, 14-year-old girls? It's <laughs> always been. In the Philippines? In my dreams. That's what happens. <laughs> when you get abandoned as a child, you just go to the Philippines. Well, or another it, third world country, you start having sex with It's the Marshall Islands in the Philippines. I thought it was own principality. He went to the Philippines, but the Marshall oh, Islands he went is there in after. the Pacific. Yeah. It's the Pacific Islands. I so. like Marshall and Tony, and I like learning his origin stories. I like to the. I want to know what happened to your sisters, Marshall Island Tony. And his brother. Like he's he's from a Are family so of like hundred. I want to know about this, and do they know about your dalliances? Did they like come to out that. to Asia to visit you? Exactly. People call the Sycamore Hotline three two three five two two four zero three two. You can email us too at cigarettepodcastgmail.com. Um, if you haven't already checked out the second show on Patreon, you are missing out. You Ooh, really yeah. are missing out on the highlight of your week. We do a whole second show. It's an entirely second program of Sick and Wrong. And uh, this week we actually um, discovered why it sounds like Kate and I are recording in the same room. We could, in fact, be in the same room right now. Be in the same room. We also hear from my sister with an update on uh, Ozzy, my nephew. He's walking and nearly talking. And taking shits on the floor. (laughs) And we hear how TSA actually stole her laptop out of her luggage, but she got it back. She went full of you. Yeah, she knows. She was really upset about that. Um, I also have a very American crime story about a man who died from a heart attack while burying his girlfriend, whom he just murdered. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the things we get up to on the second show. So uh, go check it out. And also, that's only five bucks a month. Seriously, five dollars a month is all it takes to get the second it, show. Five bucks is nothing, man. It's very minimal. And then, just for a few dollars more, uh, you get access to the Sigrong Overkill and the Sigrong Archives. And I just went through and converted all of the Sigrong Archives to uh, SoundCloud playlists. Uh, so these playlists are available on the Patreon as well uh, as the uh, the website. So go to patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Support the show. We really do appreciate it. Um, also, if you want to get some Sick and Wrong merch, I made three designs recently. 
these are good free designs. I did. I know. I'm surprised that they aren't selling a little bit better. But I made a stinkor design. <laughs> we know for who dedicated Joe Kelly. If you listen to the to, patron, you know who. That's yeah, I for. need to get that uh, that shirt for him for his birthday. I made a bish design on popular request. Yo, bish. And recently, I made a make abortion great again shirt. And again, if you listen to the second show, <laughs> I'm hoping that so. that takes off yeah. and people start wearing it because we should make abortion great again. Anyway, just go to stickeronpodcast.com slash shop, click on the picture of the Pope and uh, get yourself some Sigurong merch. Finally here, the uh, Sigurong song of the week. This is a Kate Rambo pick, one of her favorite bands. Well, actually, I really like this band too. So one of my... Uh, favorite bands too but eddie and the hot rods oh yeah british pub rock band no right no you've already got it wrong by just saying that they're not british no eddie and the hot rods are more than a british pub rock band and i in fact think it's insulting to say that they're a they were though to start with but by this time when they're releasing this Way more. So 1976, they weren't playing pubs anymore. Well, I mean, to say pub rock now is very offensive to a I don't think so. I think that's cool. Yeah, because you're not from Britain. But, like, no, it is. They're more than pub rock. So in 1976, they weren't playing pubs. They were playing more than pubs. They were playing pubs and clubs. My dad was playing pubs and clubs at this time. But to just refer to them as a pub rock band They were originally a pub rock band. And if you do a search for them, it says pub rock band. Yeah, but which is offensive. They were a great band. I I like to make the joke and say, um, we're about to go and see Paul Gray's band on Sunday. But I always make the joke and say it's Paul Gray's best band. Because when you say that in front of Dan fans, they get all the clamped. They're like, <laughs> no, this is his better band. Anyway, Eddie and the High Rods are a great band. Uh, they did a song called On the Run, and this is from their uh, first album, 1976 LP, Teenage Depression. Rest in peace, Barry. Yes, so we're going to uh, end the show here with On the Run, dedicated to uh, Vicky White and Casey White. All the chicks who are on the run. All the chicks. And Barry Masters. Who are on the run. Thank you, uh, Toby Dore, for being on the show. We do really, it was a good time talking She's a cutie. Yeah, I did enjoy that. And go check out our book. Go buy it on Amazon. People will be back next week with episode 844. Till then, take it sleazy.
Mr. Matt wanted me to give my husband some pills and to they, knock him out. They called your husband? The glitch. The glitch, meaning he was the glitch in the plant. Yes. And he had to be disposed of. Yes. I knew I was in so far that I had to just keep going along with it. <laughs> 